Welcome to Land Life, a podcast for North Coast landholders by North Coast Local Land Services. This podcast is all about sharing knowledge and experience with landholders across our region to support farm productivity and healthy environments. North Coast Local Land Services acknowledges the traditional custodians of all the nations on which we live, work and play. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening to this podcast. Summer on the North Coast. For most people, the images that spring to mind involve beaches, barbecues, air conditioning, but North Coast landholders have a few other things on their mind when it comes to summer. In today's episode, we'll hear from North Coast LLS Ag Advisory staff, Julie Dart and Alex Johnston, on some of the things landholders need to consider leading into Christmas, including sale yard closures and the availability of stock feed and water. But first, Julie, Alex and I visited fourth generation dairy farmer, Jason Bake, on his property in Crossmaglen near Coffs Harbour to learn a little bit more about the actions farmers can take to reduce heat stress in their animals over summer. Welcome to the farm here today. The Bakes have been farming on this same block, milking cows, dairy farming, obviously, for uh, 112 years. I'm the fourth, fourth generation. I've been here 32 years. Heat stress is a really important issue for us on the coast, um, especially for dairy farmers, because they're out working with animals that are often heavily pregnant or lactating. Some of the things that will cause heat stress, obviously, the air temperature and humidity, the amount of solar radiation standing in the sun, the amount of nighttime cooling, whether there's a good breeze and the length of the hot conditions. Sometimes breed also is a big factor with that. So um, Jay, what sort of breeding strategy would you have with your cows to account for heat stress? Traditionally, we've had um, a Jersey herd generation for many generations. About 35 years ago, we started a crossbreeding program. We now have, up until re- very recently, we had a three-way crossbreeding program, Jersey, Frisians and, and red cattle. We've gone away from the, from the Holstein breed in that three-way cross now for the um, more heat-resistant brown Swiss as the level of Bos indicus in that animal makes it more tolerant. For the heat, it's not, it's not so much the heat like you said before here on the coast. For us, it's not so much the heat. Like a very hot day for us would be 32, maybe 34, but it's the humidity. We can crack up to 80, 85% humidity, and that's that's when you really start seeing the, the effects of the, the, um, the heat stress. I mean, you know, it's 80% humidity at 28 degrees. You've got cows actively seeking shade and, you know, showing signs of distress and respiration increase. Yeah, so when we're talking about um, respiratory breath rate, we'd be looking at cows if they're starting to breathe more than 60 times in a minute, then that's an indication that they're getting stressed. They'll start to pant like a dog. Mm, exactly. And um, humidity can actually make some of the mitigation strategies you would normally use for heat stress not so great. Like one of the things we can use out west where the, where it's not so humid is sprinkling cows. So you actually give them a bit of a shower and let them cool down in the breeze, but that doesn't always work here. So what sort of stuff would you do at your place to mitigate heat stress? There was four or five different measures that were used depending on the level of um, humidity and, and heat stress that's being exhibited by the cattle. I mean, traditionally we feed on our, on our feed pad at about 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning before it gets too hot through summer. Um, if, we are, if it is hot and we're walking and humid and we're walking past the dairy, we'll turn the sprinkler system on we've got in the cow yard and allow the cows access to the yard. And there has been on a number of occasions that generally they'll walk past the yard to go to the feed. 
but if it, if it is really sticky, they'll, the whole 400 cows will actually walk into the yard, stand in the yard till they sufficiently cool themselves down, then go back out to feed and come back to the yard again. Yeah. We also, one of, the, one of the critical things is um, fresh water, having access to plenty of fresh water, cool fresh water. Everywhere the cows go, they're, they're never within more than 100 metres of a water trough. Mm. Always, and there's always, you know, there's always a good supply of water going in there. Also, we have a shade belt along the western side of the laneway, about 600 metres long, so the cows can actually access the shade, stand in the shade in the laneway. Yeah. Each cow will get about six to seven square metres of area along the lane in the shade, so they're, they're able to catch a breeze. There's plenty of room. That's awesome that they've got that, that amount of space because I think for, as a minimum with, with cows and trying to dissipate it, you le- they really need at least four square metres. So just the fact that they've got that extra room to get up, catch the breeze is awesome. And quite often you'll find on dairy farms uh, using shade along laneways is really an effective strategy for cooling cows. On beef farms, you might see things like the cows will just find, find a creek or find water and it's not always good, but if you see your animals standing in the trough, you definitely know you need to do something because um, not everyone's going to fit in the trough. When you did your spray cooling, how many years ago did you put that in? Uh, the, the actual sprinklers in the yard probably went in 12 years ago. Our, sh- our shade line went in along the lane, went in probably 20 years ago. Yeah, you, you can actually notice the difference in it. I mean, the cows come in, they're noticeably heat stressed with their, with their panting and respiratory rates. But that, with a, within five or ten minutes of standing under the sprinklers, the cows are ruminating again. Hmm. So their, their respiratory rate has slowed right down to the fact where they feel comfortable to start chewing, eating again, which is, re- which is a really good sign. Yeah, well, that's one of the critical things with heat stress too is that it, when cows are hot, their actual feed intake can drop by 20% and that can have a real impact on production. Hmm. Sometimes you can feed different feeds. Um, it's recommendations from Dairy Australia that on hot days you especially try and limit the amount of fibre the animals are eating because they actually produce more heat trying to break fibre down. Yeah, so you feed, you feed your, your better quality pastures and better quality hay so that it's not, you haven't got that, that whole high NDF in your ration. Yeah. So for the cattle farmers out there, um, NDF is the neutral detergent fibre. It's a bit of dairy slang, but um, it's, linked, it's linked to digestibility. So we're talking feeds that aren't as digestible will create body heat. Also, too, on hot days with, with dairy, it's better to feed better quality feeds that have got a good percentage of energy and protein. So that's easier for the animals to digest. And sometimes time of day, the feeding is important too. Like um, one good strategy is to offer your better pasture in the cool of the day when the cattle are more likely to eat it. If they're really hot, they won't eat. So what sort of other effects would you notice in the dairy on hot days? Oh, the, the cows actually, um, well, obviously when, they, when, they, when you put the cows in the, in the, in the yard prior to milking, obviously you're pushing them together and each cow's got like a two metres two square metres, so obviously violated the whole one point, nearly the 1.5 thing for the COVID thing, but I mean, you know, all of a sudden that the, the, the latent heat that comes off a herd of cows in the yard like that is just tremendous so you've got to try and avoid at times milking when, when you've got the high heat load like that which will get regardless of when you, whether you put your, the cows in the yard hmm. I think a lot of it comes back to um, knowing what you, what you can, what you should and shouldn't be feeding and just the breakdown, the rates of breakdown of the feed and how much actual heat is given off through the rumen with digesting, especially especially grains. Like if you have, you're feeding cows wheat, a lot of wheat 
through summer when the heat's there because wheat breaks down so fast there's a lot of heat associated with that if you go back to a slower a slower burning starch source like corn mm-hmm. so you, you actually you, you'll still produce heat but it'll be produced over a longer period of time and the cow's got the facility to be able to dissipate that so it's important jason on hot days that we um try and limit the movement of stock when when it's hot do you um, do anything in the dairy differently on hot days yeah, we, we do alter um, afternoon milking times throughout the year. Like, we'll gradually creep later and later as the days get longer. I mean, we'll only vary milking times by probably three-quarters of an hour to an hour at the most in summer to what they normally would be in winter. But, um, yeah, they're also... If, if, it's, if it's a rotten day that, you know, it's going to be rotten at 3 o'clock as opposed to 4 o'clock, they might just take the edge off it. But the, the fortunate thing for us here being so close to the coast is that generally speaking, by about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, there's, a, there's an easterly breeze picks up off the coast, similar to the one that's coming through here now, and it, it'll, it'll drop the temperature rapidly. A lot of farmers will actually bring their animals up to the dairy and put on a cooling system and just let them stand around in the shade where they're getting a bit, bit wet, um, especially with the cooling systems too. It's not just a fine mist, you actually need to get the cows properly wet. So yeah, Big with- droplets. See, yeah, with the sprinkler system, we've got just basic little garden sprinklers and they, they spray out probably six or seven metres into the yard and they've got, like, droplets the size of your little fingernail that hit and dissipate in through the coat of the cow. doesn't facilitate that, that blanketing effect like it runs down over the hide. Mm. You can see very rapidly the, the effects of that. Like I said before, the, the cows will come in and they, they, you can, they're visually heat-stressed and within 10 minutes of these sprinklers coming on, like we pump the water from 60 metres below ground level out of a bore so the water's quite cold so by the time 10 minutes of that the cows are ruminating again so you know that's the sort of thing that you want to get them through get them out onto fresh water so they can get a drink get good quality pasture into them. Is there anything else if money time or inspiration was no object that you'd think of doing? Well inspiration's never an object. No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I suppose we could go a little bit further into the, the brown swiss which we are as just from a physical breeding point standpoint, uh, I'd, I'd like to be able to. There's, there's certain sections of other laneways that we've only just started to plant trees in now, like another 400 metres of lane. We've just fenced off in the last couple of years. We've got trees developing in, which will be another, you know, they look good now, but it's going to be another six or eight years before you can sit under them. <laughs> but that, that's still in place. Then obviously, that with the shade effect on the lane once with the rainfall that we've got you've got to have a very solid base in your lane so that it doesn't break up and obviously you run into a lot of problems i mean having access to good material that we can afford to do our laneways with would be it would be a priority i don't think we go down the line of um putting in portable shelters i would i would like to be able to cover my feed pad it's 25 metres wide and 110 metres long, so it's a fairly big shed, and then put misters in the shed while the cows are foraging on the, on the pad. I think I think one of the key things, Julie, is that, you know, if you're riding around on the bike or you're out in the heat of the day and you're, you're pretty uncomfortable, your cows are a lot more uncomfortable. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, you duck home to sitting under the fan for a while in the house, the cows can't do that. No. They need the facility to be able to cool. After visiting Jason's farm, Julie and Alex got talking about some of the other things North Coast landholders might need to think about in the lead up to summer. 
So after discussing the issue of heat stress in a livestock herd with Jason, you know, you talked about ensuring access to feed and water being really important. So on that, uh, obviously our seasons can be quite changeable and access to feed is certainly something our producers must consider in this industry. Should they be considering feed availability and delivery, particularly over the Christmas period? Yeah, very important for people who are in either intensive animal industries where they normally buy in feed or for people who might still be enduring drought conditions up north. It's like like the sale yards and everything, people like to have some time off over Christmas and it's quite common for the feed mills to uh, go on break midway through December and they're off for a month. So if you are going to buy feed, Make sure you order it early, a delivery before the close down date and ensure you've got at least a month's feed on hand delivered so that you're not stressing halfway through because you've run out midway. But people who are in intensive industries like dairies and chickens and pigs usually have that well in hand, but it's a bit of a trap for the unwary if you're not used to buying feed. When we talk about adequate feed, um, we may think of stocking rates and how much feed is available considering your number of livestock on hand and potentially having to turn off before Christmas. So this means that we would be looking at um, things like sale yards and their calendar, their last sale days and their operating hours over Christmas. Any advice in that regard? Depending on how you normally manage your animals and your marketing, it's well worth considering, yes, that sale yards and abattoirs do have closed down periods roughly in line with the feed supplies. So I know up here some sale yards haven't quite confirmed their end dates, but for most of our regional sale yards, by the second week of December, they're looking to have had their last sale. Um, and then also with, with abattoirs and processors, similar, similar sort of timing. Yeah, so I guess overall the main areas we need to think about when coming into this summer period is obviously being prepared for emergencies, access to feed and water, and, um, you know, your market options and, and our sale yards and stock agents and things like that. I'd probably suggest people actually have a good hard look at how much feed and water they've got available now. Do some feed budgeting, work out whether you're going to have enough feed to get you through summer, and um, especially water. I think for a lot of people, stock water is going to be their biggest li- limiting factor this summer. So if you rely on dams and you're running dry, really seriously consider maybe offloading some stock because if you're in the situation where you're going to have to buy in water, definitely don't put it in a dam if you can avoid it. So if you're going to buy in water, make sure you put it in a tank that's attached to a trough because while it's in a tank, it's less likely to evaporate and you're going to have your water supply for a bit longer. But yet again, those guys liked, water cutters like to have holidays too. So get in early and get organised. Yeah. And generally, if you're looking for water, so is everybody else. Yes, that's... Um, that was one of the big issues with the fires with trying to get people with water was that everybody was just flat out and there's not enough trucks for the number of people who want water. We've covered a lot of ground in this episode, but if you want to learn more about any of the subjects we've covered today, there are plenty of ways to go about it. For more information on heat stress in livestock, you can visit the local land services, Dairy Australia or Meat and Livestock Australia websites. To learn more about preparing your animals for bushfire and other natural disasters, you could listen to the first episode of Landlife. And to access support and advice on all of these subjects and more, you can always call your nearest local land services office on 1300 795 299. This podcast was brought to you by North Coast Local Land Services with the support of the Australian Government's National Land Care Programme.